Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Galatians chapter 2. If you're using one of the, the church Bibles, we have, uh, you can find that on page 913. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this afternoon. Uh, you're, you're very welcome, uh, those of you who, who are, are new this week. Uh, we're very happy to have you with us uh, and, and, and hope that you'll uh, enjoy uh, being with us today, enjoying fellowship uh, around God's Word. Um, next week, so uh, we're going to have uh, a guest speaker, which is going to, which is really exciting. Uh, we're, his name is uh, Steve Clark. He's one of the elders at the the Brentford Church, uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to you meeting him. He's one of my dear dear friends. Uh, he's going to continue our series uh, into Galatians next week. Uh, one of the the things that we have with the the church in Brentford is our our mother church is is we're we're working together. So I'm going to preach out there. Uh, once a month, and one of them will come and, and preach here uh, in the, the months ahead, uh, which is just a, a nice, helpful way for, for us to stay connected uh, to, that, to that congregation, uh, but also for, for you to get to hear uh, the Word of God preached from someone other than just me. You know, there, there are many, many very, very capable uh, ministers, uh, and, and so we're, we're happy to expose uh, us as a congregation to them. Uh, so... Uh, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is really continuing on uh, Paul's discussion or his his explanation for uh, his authority to to speak the the gospel or the the good news, the words of Christ Jesus uh, to this congregation. So Galatians 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is God's word. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Who still likes rules? You can raise your hands if you want. It's, it's, uh, don't be shy. It's, it's not really a serious question, um, but I am curious, after 18 months, over the, the last 18 months, who, who still likes rules? Anybody? Yeah, I, w- I would certainly say that, that 
Uh, all the extra rules we've had over this, this last year plus were, were probably well-meaning. Most of them um, may, have, well, well, may have served a purpose, even though they were quite confusing at times. Um, you know, we tend to all have a lot of different reactions to rules, don't we? Some of us love them. You know, they, they give us uh, order, uh, a sense of security. Uh, so we follow them to the letter. We don't want to be rule breakers. I'll, I'll confess that I probably fall into that category. Um, you know, at, at the height of the pandemic, if I saw someone on a bus or on the tube uh, with a, a mask over their, their mouth but not their nose, I, I wouldn't say anything. I would just quietly judge. It happened even this afternoon. I was, I was sitting uh, in my room uh, going over this sermon, and I hear a neighbor uh, doing some kind of construction, you know, banging on something and tossing rubbish out their window and making this loud racket onto the ground. And I thought, it's Sunday. And I think there's a rule against doing construction work on a Sunday. Uh, I didn't say anything. I just judged in my heart. Most people are, are probably like me. And, and, and most people who are, are like me, who, who love keeping rules, uh, are like this because we think we can control our world, don't we? Uh, you know, do we have the, the ability to actually stop a virus? Absolutely not. But we need to feel like we can. And it creates this sort of false sense of security. Others, others think that rules are great. And they're, they're really important for other people to follow. Uh, you, you probably know these, right? The, the ones on, on Twitter and the media that, that were constantly sort of banging on about how we should be following the rules, uh, only to find out later that they weren't. Uh, I think the, the, the embodiment of this category is the, the scientific advisor for the government who was found to be, um, what do you say, mixing households when everyone was meant to be staying at home. The third group are the ones who, who think their rules are just dumb. They don't apply to them at all. Uh, and so they're just not going to follow them. And there's not many of them, but we, we know who they are, don't we, when we see them. Now today in our passage, Paul recounts this, this, this huge row, this, this major blow-up that he got into over the law of God. And this may surprise many of you when you, when you hear that, that Paul got into an argument over the law. Because many of you think that, that Christ, the Christian faith is, is really little more than, than keeping a series of rules that we're all supposed to, to follow, to, to get God to love us. But Paul argues that this isn't the case. He says there's more to Christianity than rules. And when we, when we look to faith as simply a, a, the keeping of rules, then we become not, not God-dependent, but we become self-reliant. And that's actually a terrible place to be. See, at the heart of this, this argument, this row that Paul uh, asserted himself into, was what I think is an, an absolutely fundamental question. It's, in fact, a, a watershed question for all of us. How do you draw near to a holy God? How do we gain access to a God who is perfectly holy when you and I are not? And how we answer this question determines whether we live a life of, of fear and tyranny or freedom and joy. And there's two things, uh, two, two kind of big broad points that I want us to look at this afternoon. First of all, what is the law of God? And secondly, well, then what's the good news? What's the, what's the gospel? Where is that? So first of all, what is the law of God? Paul, Paul begins by recounting this, this visit he made to Jerusalem. Uh, and while he was there, he, he sought out the other apostles. These would be the ones who, 
who had actually spent uh, time with Jesus during his earthly life in ministry. If you, if you remember back to last week, uh, we saw how, how Jesus came to Paul uh, much later, and, and he, he dr- was dramatically converted as a result. And so 14 years after his conversion, Paul goes to Jerusalem where the other apostles were based. And he goes there in order to understand, so that they can, can understand each other, that, so they can be sure that they're all preaching uh, the same gospel. Paul says it as making sure he hasn't run in vain. So I want to pick up in verses 3 and 5, because this is where we begin to see the controversy that the early church was struggling with. He says in verse 3, but, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what Paul's laying out here uh, is that there, there was this big argument over, over the rules of the faith. And that's essentially the issue that's, that's still hanging over the church in, in, in Galatia. Uh, these, these false teachers, these false brothers, as Paul puts it, uh, has, has, has trying to place these additional rules on the church. Here's what I mean. The, the Christian faith was, was founded out of historic Judaism. Jesus was, of course, uh, a Jew who came to the people of Israel. But Jesus said that, that his kingdom would be made up of people from all over the world. People from every tribe, every nation, every, every people group. Which, by the way, if you, if you look around at our little congregation this afternoon... Um, you know, it's one of the brilliant things of a London church is that we, we see a glimpse of this, don't we? It's brilliant. We, we see a, a little picture of what God's kingdom will look like. This is, this is what heaven's going to be. But getting, getting back to the main point, in the Old Testament, God delivered to his people his law. And the, the commands that he expected, these were the commands he expected his people to obey. When we look at these, these commands, we can really distinguish three types of law. So three types of rules that they were meant to obey. First, there was the, the moral law, which is, is really essentially the Ten Commandments, which we read uh, earlier, isn't it? Uh, there's laws that are, the, these are laws that are, are absolutes. That they transcend history. They're, uh, uh, in many ways, a reflection of who we were created to be. And they're a reflection of who we're meant to be as God's people saved by his grace. See, what you see when you look at the Ten Commandments are are two things. We see how we're meant to behave in relation to God. And secondly, how we're meant to behave in relation to one another. And the moral law is still valid for us today. We should be seeking to to live by it. In many ways, it's it's written in our hearts. For example, um, if someone steals from you, they, if they break into your flat or, or, or they, they snatch your purse or, or pick your pocket clean of its wallet, if someone steals from you, you get upset, don't you? You know an injustice has been done. You don't need someone to, to come up to you and say, hey, that was, that was wrong, because you feel it. You can look at that and, and objectively say, what was done to me was not right. And the person who, who did that to you doesn't need to be told it's wrong. They know. We all know it's wrong to take things that aren't ours. Even young children, when they're playing with toys, 
You know, when one comes up and grabs one from, from another child, what do they do? They, they cry because they know it's wrong. The moral laws is the first type. The second type of law that we see in the Old Testament is, is what's called the civil law. God's people at that time were, were a, a ge- geopolitical nation. They were, they were uh, an, an actual people group. This, you know, they, were, they were a country as well as a faith. And because of this, God, God gave them uh, a civil law. He gave them uh, laws for, for how they, they should govern themselves. So it would be things like, uh, what do you do if, if someone accidentally kills uh, their neighbor's cow? What sort of restitution should be paid for that? How do we just settle disputes over, over pieces of land? You know, one person says this piece of land was his. Another person says this piece of land was his. How do we resolve that? How do we, how do we, uh, solve the, how do we decide how money should be loaned out? It's a banking system, isn't it? Uh, what we have today. How, how do, what kind of, you know, is it okay to charge interest? How much interest? That's, those sorts of things. Uh, there may be, you know, the, these are things that, that uh, we have a different government, our own government, who makes these rules today. So the ones in the Old Testament are no longer binding, although we can, we can draw from them wisdom. We can take certain principles from them. But they're no longer laws we're required to keep because God's kingdom has no borders. It's, it's not an earthly kingdom in the same sense that Israel was. So then the, the third type of law that we see was, was the ceremonial law. And these were the laws that, that govern worship practices, things like uh, making sacrifices in the temple. You know, who, who could do that? What sacrifices need to be made for, for certain sins that were committed, both consciously or in error? And this third type is, is where we see the, the problem the early church was running into. The question and argument was over which of God's laws do we still need to follow? And in many ways, it was a in many ways it was a cultural dispute, because the the the, the Jewish people had, had grown up uh, in a certain culture where you had to keep these rules, and when you were raised a certain way, uh, it's difficult, uh, as we all probably know, to to change that. There are habits that we form that we just can't can't seem to get away from. You know, there are habits that I have as an American that I probably will never change, even though I'm now a, a British citizen. You know, there's things about me that will always mark me out as, as being from America. You know, I can't change my accent. I, I can't change how I spell words, although often when I misspell those words, they, they end up right in English, so I'm doing pretty well there. But the Jews had, had these practices that, that were given by God. It wasn't just sort of an accent, but they were given by God that they, they thought they should keep. But the big problem came when non-Jews or Gentiles or, or Greeks, as they're called here, as Paul calls Titus, uh, converted to Christianity. And there was a group within the early church that wanted to maintain things like, like food laws and circumcision things that actually had, had no impact on their salvation. So what does Paul say the problem with this was? Well, well, this group of false brothers or, or false, false Christians, false church leaders, uh, through, through these additional rules, would have crushed the freedom we have in Christ and would have instead created slaves. So let's unpick this for a moment. What Paul's saying 
is that it, Paul, Paul is saying that, that in Christ we have, we have freedom that, that, the, that, that makes these cultural markers uh, irrelevant. They are no longer needed. They're, they've been done away with. Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial law and the demands of it. So why would we force people who come from completely different backgrounds to submit to these rules that now just seem weird? You, you've probably noticed that, haven't you? One of the, the criticisms of, of Christianity is that, that we're, we're inconsistent. You know, we, there's all these bizarre and, and painful and, and sometimes even offensive uh, rules that we find uh, in the Old Testament that most Christians don't even keep. And Paul says to that, Amen. Don't keep them. That's not what they're there for. Jesus has kept them. He's kept all of them. He's kept the moral, civil, and, and, and the ceremonial laws. And while we still need things like the moral, he still calls us to be obedient to those things. We don't need, we don't need all this other stuff. Jesus has kept it. He's fulfilled it. If you're in Christ, then, then you're free. And anyone who tells you otherwise is accursed. Why? Because these men were trying to get the law to do something that it was never intended to do. See, and that's what made them false believers. Because they were trying to get the law to do something it was never intended to do. They thought if they could keep the law well enough, then they could be made right with God through it. If they kept enough rules and got others to keep enough rules, then they would be made right with God. But that isn't what the law was for. The purpose of the law was to reveal God's character, his holiness, his perfection, and likewise to reveal our character, our unholiness, and therefore our, our need for a savior. And that savior came in Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus is sufficient. And that's what we see in our, our second point. What's, what's the good news? Where's the gospel? What is it? I have this, this brilliant quote from Martin Luther. It's, it's printed in your, on your little service sheet handout. Uh, it's long, but it's brilliant. So I'm going to give you the whole thing. Listen carefully. Follow along if you like. This is what Martin Luther said. He said, some people will say that the law is divine and holy. Let the law have its glory. But no law, however divine and holy, should teach me that I am justified and will live by it. I grant it may teach me that I should love God and my neighbor, also to live in chastity, sobriety, patience, and so on. But it ought not to show me how I can be delivered from sin, the devil, death, and hell. I must listen to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper function of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Namely, he suffered and died to set me free from sin and death. The gospel wants me to receive this and to believe it. See, Martin Luther, uh, the Apostle Paul, along with all the other apostles, we see it in verse 9, agree that these, to, to these two principles. That the law has a purpose, but it's insufficient to save. And that Jesus alone is fully sufficient. And that's the good news. That we're made right with God. That we're justified before him through the work of his son, which he completed on the cross in his death and resurrection. Now why is this 
Why is this news so good? Well, the law has serious problems. It certainly has some good points, uh, particularly God's law, but it's insufficient to save us from death or from judgment or from hell. Yet deep down we all wish it would, don't we? Here's what I mean. Uh, we all want to live in a better world. And we, we all would agree that, that we need rules in order to, to keep this world, well, in order. Even atheists acknowledge this. You know, uh, one of the, the problems atheism has is uh, where do the underlying values for, for our laws, for our rules, come from? And they would say that, that they come from us, that they're just they're self-evident human values. Now, there's, there's a lot of problems with that statement, but we'll set that aside for now. There's, there's one glaring issue, though, that I think is worth, worth us looking at. You keep all these man-made rules, all these things, these, these agreed-upon values for your whole life, and then you die. That's the problem with, with any law, even religious laws. God's law, you can, you can keep it the best you can for your whole life, and then you die. And then what? See, folks, we, we, you, can, you can be really a really great person, and you can keep all the rules of society, or you can be a really nasty person who keeps none of the rules, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's just an awful person that nobody likes, but you might be kind of happy with yourself because you're not keeping any of the rules. You're cool, yay. But you both end up in the same place. See, the truth is that we're, we're all born with an incredible natural talent. We're like, we're like Ronaldo, or whichever great footballer you prefer, or you know, uh, uh, some of you are classier than football, I guess, so maybe whatever uh, uh, great composer you, you, you like the most. But last week, you know, last week Gus and I watched Match of the Day, and we saw the, the Manchester United highlights. It was Ronaldo's first, uh, first game back with United. And there was this one goal in particular where we both uh, were watching this, and we went, well, how, how'd he do that? How'd, how'd he do that? He's, he's this incredible, gifted, talented footballer. And he's, he's worked hard, but there's so much to, to his game that, that just comes naturally. He's a natural talent. You didn't think you'd, you'd come to church today and, and be told that you have a, a natural talent on par with Ronaldo or whatever great composer you like. You know, you, you're, you're a virtuoso. Uh, but, but you do. You have an incredible natural talent. Your talent and my talent is making a mess of things. We excel at it. And you've probably had someone in your life, maybe even yourself, where you look at some awful situation that, that a person is in or that you're in and you find yourself going... How'd they do that? How'd I do that? Well, maybe you, you put some effort into it. But so much of it is down to your natural talent for making a mess of things. And this natural talent is called sin. See, our sin makes us turn, to, turn things into a, a mess. And then our sin tells us we can fix it if we just follow certain rules. See, that's the heart of the message of the false teachers here. You want to be made right with God? You want to clean up your mess? Then, then cut off your foreskin. Don't eat pork, etc. Paul and the other apostles said, rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. There's only one way to be made right with God. That's your faith in Jesus. 
And in our modern world, we're still given rules to be made right with God, aren't we? You know, uh, fast during Ramadan. Give something up for Lent. Uh, meditate and have a juice cleanse or whatever. I, you know, my favorite, if you want to fix your life, then just be true to yourself. Be your authentic you. Whoever, whoever you are, or whatever that is, just, just be you. And we think we've gotten past this, this idea of law, but, but this idea of, of be yourself is, is actually a law to itself. We become narcissistic, self-centered people when we just want to be ourselves. We can, we can look around and see how this idea, this, this law is, is pushed aggressively all throughout our society, though, isn't it? And let's, again, say you keep this law your whole life. Let's say you uh, uh, can in good conscience say at the end of your life, I was true to me. I did it my way. And then you die. And then what? What about the best you can hope for is that maybe an inspirational Disney film will be made about you. But you won't be here to enjoy it. And it probably won't happen because, you know, if you're again, if you're just focused on yourself, then you're not going to be a very well-liked person. But then we have to take into account, what if, what if we got it all wrong? What if, what if this one law, this, this, you know, just be you, isn't even the right law? And that there's some judgment after death. You know, Jesus certainly makes clear that there's, there's judgment to come. And all the apostles indicate that there's judgment to come. What if we've got it all wrong? I know you're, you're probably thinking, Rob, this is such a downer. You've been going on and on about the law and how useless it is. Where's the good news you promised? Here it is. Jesus has met the requirements of the law. And that's the gospel. We heard it from Martin Luther moments ago. Paul says it here in verse 4. Well, we have freedom, that we have freedom in Christ Jesus. The law is slavery, but Christ, there's freedom. You think about, you think about the law as, as sort of like... Uh, a ledger, you know, a bank ledger. If, you, if you've ever gone and, and taken out a loan for anything, uh, a house, a car, uh, you know, a computer, anything, you know, you got a credit card and you start running up debt on the credit card. You know, what, how, how does that feel? Does it feel like that car you have is, is really yours when every month you're still writing, you're still writing that, that check or that, that direct debit to pay off that car? that thing. See, what, what our sin is and, and what the law creates for us is this, this unpayable debt that we just keep getting deeper and deeper into. Because what the law does is, it, it, all it does is it points out to us, you've, you've got a debt that you owe. You've got this debt that you can't pay. And we think, well, you know what, if I just keep the debt, if I, if I do better tomorrow and just keep the, keep the law better, if I keep that rule better, but you still owe on the day before. You're still in that debt. Who can take that away? Well, what Scripture says is that Jesus has paid that debt. The holiness of debt. See, where the law brings death and division and brokenness, Christ brings life and restoration and healing. And we get a glimpse of that here in verses 9 and 10 when the, the other apostles hear Paul's message when they saw him stand up for the truth of the grace of Christ Jesus, what did they do? They extended fellowship to him. They said to him, you're one of us. 
They encouraged him to remember uh, the most vulnerable, to care for the poor, which Paul was eager to do. And we should be eager to do so as well. But here's the point of it all. I know I've rambled on. Okay, sorry. I've rambled on for a while. So so tune in here for, for just a moment and listen to this. The gospel is good news because in it Jesus says you're one of mine. You belong to me. The law you couldn't keep I've kept. The things you've broken I can make right. All the things in your life that you've failed at I've succeeded for you. Do you see how freeing this is? This is why Paul fought so hard for this truth. Because we're talking about the difference between true freedom and slavery. We're talking about the difference between living life uh, with freedom from guilt rather than constantly feeling like we can't live up to, to the standard. Paul's saying to the Galatians that this, this is the, a, a message worth fighting for. This is a message that has to define your fellowship just as, as it uh, defined his fellowship with the other apostles. And folks, this message has to define us as a church. Three Sundays in. But Jesus is what, we're, is, is what we're about. He's who we're for. Remember the context of Paul's life here for a moment. He was a man who sought to imprison and kill the followers of Jesus until he became one. And now the apostles, men he, he would have killed 14 years earlier, one of them he, he actually had killed. These apostles, they extend the right hand of fellowship to him. And they say to him, you're one of us. And that's the gospel. The gospel says it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been with. It doesn't matter if you, if you, want, you, know, if you, if you want to leave behind all those things. If you want to leave behind all these things and put your trust in Jesus, then you belong to him and to this fellowship. See, that's what Jesus offers to you and I. He says, are you weary and heavy laden? Then come to me. Are you tired of the sins that make you feel so guilty? Then, then come, come to me. Are you tired of having to, to try and, and define yourself in relation to the things of this world? Are you tr- tired of trying to figure out who the authentic you is? and you find that that leaves you feeling empty, then come to me and be filled. Are you tired of living in, in the poverty of life? Then, then come to Jesus freely and without money and buy on his credit. Did you notice, why, why do you think Paul and the other apostles were eager to remember the people, the, the poor, in verse 10? It's because in the poor we see our true spiritual selves, don't we? And the poor, we see who we, who we truly are. We're, 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 we're the person on the street just begging for some change. And Jesus in his grace and benevolence comes to us and he gives us the riches of his grace. And this is why the gospel is so good, friends, and the law is so deadly. If you rely on the law, you end up in despair. But Jesus can offer you hope because he's met the law's demands. It doesn't matter if you're a rule keeper or a rule breaker or or someone in between. Either way, you need Jesus. And the good news is Jesus freely welcomes you to trust in him. 
trust that, that faith is coming uh, faith is coming empty-handed as a beggar looking for his grace. And Jesus says, come. He says, come to me, weary, broken, and I will give you rest. And that is the good news. Let us pray.